0: I do ask anybody's question but yours, since you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots, because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down, and my critics can kiss my
1: Welcome on in. A new Made for March for you here. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. Check out the show on Twitter, at Made the Number for March. We're with you twice a week here on the show, and Tim... What an opening first week and a half that we've had had in college basketball. I mean, my goodness, we've got top five teams dropping. Is the Big Ten good is the burning question on everyone's mind right now. Are they good? We'll we'll dive into that and more. Also, Coach K with a headache now in week number one of the retirement tour. It feels like his team's already played a thousand games. <laughs> um, so is is he truly embracing the the quote unquote student athlete? Is he taking the student out of student athlete <laughs> now that NIL is in full effect? So we will dive into all of that. We'll get to some one and dones We'll get to all of the the weekend stuff coming up as well. There's some good games this weekend yeah. when you look at. The Mohegan Sun going on and and just some good ranked teams in action as well. We will also check out some odds from BovadaSportsBook.com. Let's start with Coach K because this, to me, was, let's put it this way. I feel like every single year, as a result of college basketball, we learn a new legal term. Aids and abets. I'd never heard of this one before. Really? You may have heard of this one because I don't believe this is a, a law in the, the state of Illinois where I reside. But this took place in the, the state of North Carolina, mm-hmm. which is where you reside. So maybe you're a little bit more familiar. But think about in the past, like you learned the details of extortion and force majeure, fraud. We have your playbook, all that stuff. And I, I look at this in Paulo Banquero and, and Michael Savarino, the grandson of Coach K. And they're arrested and and charged with DWI and involvement in DWI um, that Sunday night leading into the week. And I... I
0: Van Carroll wasn't arrested, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah, he was was released at the scene. Right. Falsely Um, reported at first. Then people sort of realized that he was just, you know, facing charges. He has a court date, but not arrested, I guess.
1: So it gets into the whole question of... Bancaro went out there, played against Gardner Webb. Should he have? Should Coach K have done something here?
0: I mean, no, he shouldn't have played. That's the short answer, right? Like, I think yeah. everyone's in consensus here. I don't get it. I don't see why. I mean, sure, I don't think Paulo Bancaro did anything that's like, oh my God, suspend him for the rest of the season. We need to reevaluate his character. We need to, you know, really get a full public apology from him. But at the same time, It's Gardner-Webb, then you got Lafayette, then you got the Citadel. I fully expected him to just sit out those three games. I guess they don't want him to be rusty when they play Gonzaga on November 26th, but that's your next game that you need him, really. You're totally fine without him. I don't really know why they went about it this way. It's just an easy decision to, you know, suspend him for those three games. That's what the precedent kind of was, given that Jalen Wilson got three games. Now, his was different because... He was actually driving, I believe. I'm, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. about that. So, yeah, this aiding and abetting thing is odd. I usually hear that term when it's in reference to a bigger crime, like murder or something. I, I actually didn't really know what it meant at first, even though I live in North Carolina, about, like, what it what it meant in terms of DWI. But it sounds like he was just in the back seat, and he could have said, hey, Coach K's grandson, you're not able to be driving right now. Wasn't well, that
1: just why. a bad teammate, too? Like, like. I, I want to push back on, like, the whole character thing. You don't let your, your teammates, your friends, go out and get behind the wheel when you're blowing a .08. Like, you got to be
0: smarter than that. Yeah, you here. do. It's, it's, it's a mistake, for sure. I just also don't see why it's... Be, like, I get that it shouldn't have been a huge punishment, but Coach K was given the opportunity to suspend him here, and I don't get why they didn't just suspend him, given the schedule, right. especially. They shouldn't consider yeah, that, and- but... That's I love Coach
1: is. K after the game, after the Gardner-Webb game. Obviously, Paolo not made available to the media, but Coach K says, we took action. We took action. <laughs> what, what what action did you take? <laughs> what? You didn't take any action. It, it's like business as usual in Durham right now, it feels like.
0: Yeah, I mean, they they had no comment about it. I guess there was, you know, we're, we were aware of the situation type of statement, but... I'm a little disappointed. I think it was an easy decision to just, you know, give him something, at least give him some form of suspension. He clearly shouldn't have allowed that to happen. I think it's a very serious issue when you consider that they were pretty lucky that they nothing happened. No one else was hurt in the process. And this is all that happened here. But yeah, and then Coach K's grandson, I don't know what you do with that situation because I believe Coach K's daughter is in the athletic department and... Yeah. She's I an mean, associate
1: AD, I believe.
0: Yeah, he's a walk-on, so look, it feels like the leash there is already pretty short when you're a walk-on. You're really just supposed to be doing your job and not messing up and not making any sort of headlines, and this is a pretty negative one.
1: Right, and I look at, with with Duke and and with Coach K, the fact that this is just kind of being swept under the rug right now, like, we live in a day and age, and it's it's so strange that here in the first like, month of college basketball. We're seeing suspensions being handed out left and right for for DWI, DUI, all that stuff. And this is just kind of being brushed to the side. It feels very strange. And in the case of Paolo, like, it's we live in an age, too, where it is so easy, so, so easy to just get a ride, right? Like, you, you hit a button and Uber's yeah. there to pick you up. Or, I mean, you are the, the top player at the most well-known college basketball institution, you're telling me, like, listen, there are managers on call for this stuff. Like, that is part of, and people don't want to kind of dig deep in, into this territory, but this is kind of what a manager's job also entails, is when you've got a player who is out late and and has had a, a few too many, and again, Paolo, and I, I get that that it's college, like, players drink, like, Whatever, I'm not. I'm not anti players drinking right. under 21. Like, listen, we've all done it, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think this is breaking news that no. college athletes drink, right? Um, well, this is part of the 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 job of a manager too, and especially Duke. I think Duke has 14 managers on their uh, on their staff right now. Like, one of those 14 can go pick them up. I believe one of the 14 was the one that bailed them bailed them out too. Um, but I I just I can't believe that in the year 2021, coming up 2022, this stuff is happening. Like, Like, it's sickening.
0: Yeah, it's inexcusable. It's not the 70s. It's not the 80s where Uber wasn't a thing or something like that. I don't really know why it happened, and I don't know why this stuff keeps happening, but it was a pretty classic Coach K response. I guess the only thing that would have been more classic is if he declared it an indefinite suspension and then suspended him for like one game because that's happened yeah, too. the, the old
1: Grayson Allen. Yep. Yes,
0: I just don't know why they didn't at least suspend him for a couple games here. It felt like that was a pretty obvious thing to do, and I was just waiting on Tuesday for the news to come out. Then nothing comes out, and all of a sudden he's out there on the court for the starting line. It blew my mind that he actually played in the game.
1: Like how do you call yourself a leader of men and that you hand down no punishment for this? I don't get it. I, I I really don't get it. And if you say, oh, you want to let the, the process play itself out, okay, well, at that point, the games might start to be a little bit more important then, right? So y- you got to you gotta take some sort of action here. And for him to, to go to the podium after and, and say we took action, I thought it was really disingenuous. So, all right, let's get into the Big Ten here because people are wondering, is the Big Ten good? After the opening of the Gavit games, dropping the first four, to the Big East, by the way, mm-hmm. Gavit Games, a very underrated sort Great of challenge talent. that, like, a very, very underrated challenge that they've got going here um, between the Big Ten and the Big East. Where do you want to start with this one? Because upsets galore to to start everything off. Let's go with the first game, and in fact, we'll start with the game that that I was actually yeah, at. we got to start Marquette there. and Illinois right. here. Um, first of all, I was surprised by the lack of Illinois turnout at this game. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. I thought it would be a 50-50 split, maybe even slightly more, like a 60-40 split. Because in the, Milwaukee, the large,
0: correct? Right? In Milwaukee,
1: yes. Mm-hmm, in Milwaukee. But that's that's not a far drive from Chicago at all. 90 minutes, straight shot, you made you're pretty it. much yeah. there. I made it, yeah. And I had no dog in the fight. Um, but it was like 80-20 Marquette was the the split there. I, w- I was shocked that, that it was not a, a higher line I turned out. But... The, the news here is that drop off from Andre Cabello to oh from mean, from Io DeSumo yeah. is a lot steeper than I thought it would be. A lot steeper than I thought it would be.
0: Look, I don't want to rag on Andre Cabello because he does make some good plays, and this was just a bad game, clearly. And I don't think this is going to be the norm for him this season, but. Gosh, those last five minutes, unlike anything I've witnessed really from one player where just total tunnel vision, turnovers just kept coming and coming. I think there were, what, five or six in the last five minutes of the game? Seven total on the night for him. Illinois as a team, even at the half, the turnovers were ridiculous. It wasn't just in the last five minutes. I know they were well into the 20s in turnovers in this game. So that's their issue, and this is something we talked about when we did our previews of Wooden's and the Guy Lewis teams, I feel like that's the big question mark. Everyone was just sort of assuming that Illinois was going to pick up where they left off, but I did so much for them. I mean, you're going from having the best closer in college basketball yep. to a young guy who is very just volatile and turnover prone and makes mistakes. And I'm not saying Carbello is all bad. That's the thing. He's going to make one or two great passes and great plays this year in crunch time. We'll see it but it's not a great guy to have as your point guard when he's so inconsistent back there down the stretch.
1: I look at Curbelo, and again, they, Illinois didn't have Kofi Coburn in this game, right? So take this with a grain of salt. I think if Kofi's out there, because let's be honest, I don't think either team tried to win this game. Marquette kind of stumbled into a win here with all their missed free throws, and they had their own turnover problems in this game too. Didn't get any rebounds
0: but, too, right, if I'm remembering right, correctly? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah
1: mm-hmm. And
0: I look at...
1: What, what what Illinois did in this game, you, you brought up the turnovers down the stretch, and I don't even think that tells the full story of it, because if you lump bad shots, because I think bad shots also oh, yeah. should count as turnovers too. the amount of bad shots that Corbella was taking down the stretch as well was alarming. And I mean, you're talking about turnaround fades and stuff. He shouldn't even be the guy that's taking the big shot. That should be Trent Frazier. I don't know if you, unless you've got another name out there that you want to throw out there. Yeah, But it should (laughs) be Trent Frazier in my mind. And the fact that he wasn't the one taking some of these shots. I know he was the one that had the turnover at the end. But I, I, I could not understand this. This was a team that was so out of sorts. They had this game pretty much in hand down the stretch. And it was a choke. I mean, neither team wanted to win this game. One of them just happened to score more points than the other.
0: Yeah, so Marquette got out-rebounded by 20, by the way. that's I don't know how they won this game. When you consider their free-throw shooting, even down the stretch, it wasn't like Marquette flipped a switch or something. It was just Carbello just kept giving them the ball. I, It was really tough to watch because I want Carbello to be good. I think he's a really fun player. He's got a very high ceiling. There was definitely some reason to believe that this could be the sophomore leap. I don't think this removes that, but... Maybe it's just not having Kofi in there really threw them off their game plan. I don't know what it was. I just know that he got down on himself down the stretch, and it wasn't like he started passing the ball up. He kept trying to make plays happen, and he just had that tunnel vision where it was like he was going to dominate the ball in every possession. And you're right, Trent Frazier maybe he needs to come to the ball more or what, but he needs to be the guy that holding the ball, especially the way that the Curbelo was playing after one or two turnovers. That was it. You should have just moved on.
1: No, I totally agree with you here. And, and I look at w- what Curbelo was doing. It felt like he, he lost a couple plays and, and tried to get it all back in one at times. And I mean, the way that he played down the stretch, if anyone else played that way, they're benched. Uh, like, and oh, yeah. I'm not just talking about it at, at Illinois. I'm talking about it pretty much any program across the country. I, I couldn't believe that Curbelo was honestly still in the game at-, at that certain point because he should have been benched. Like, let's be honest. The way that he was playing, the way that he was turning the ball over, it- there was no reason for him to be out there. L- give it no. to Trent yeah. Frazier. Let him be the guy that controls things for you. Um, So looking at Bavada here and what they've got for their Big Ten odds in terms of winning the conference, things are – are starting to shake up a little bit. Actually, here we'll we'll save the, all the odds because we we do need to talk about a couple other teams in the Big Ten. Let's let's go to to Michigan here. They oh, lose it. to to Seton I Hall. I do want to shout
0: out Marquette though. I mean that that was a good yeah, win good for win. them. Good I don't I good don't get win. the whole program defining signature win talk. That's come. It up, shouldn't be a yeah <laughs> yeah. But is a great defender too. That wasn't all. I mean, Curbell played poorly, but. You know, credit to Marquette's defense because that's what they want to do this year under Shaka Smart, and they did it, and that's a good way to start with Shaka Smart in his first year.
1: No, it was a a good win for certain. All right, Seton Hall and Michigan. This was a bad – I could kind of tell this would be a bad matchup for Michigan because of the size that Seton Hall had. So Seton Hall goes out, wins this game 67-66, and I wonder if this kind of shapes up what we might see – when Michigan takes on Purdue because Purdue's a team that can overwhelm Michigan with size and make things a little bit more difficult. And I felt like that's exactly what Seton Hall did. They had the blueprint sort of to, to beat Michigan and, and they walk away with a, a huge road victory at Chrysler.
0: Yeah. Another case of Michigan sort of throwing it away at the end, a very impressive win from Seton Hall to get it done on the road I don't know if I feel a lot worse about Michigan as a team after this, but I do probably take a lot away from the way Seton Hall played down the stretch, and when you look at Ken Palm, they break it into quarters, basically, on what the scoring was for each 10-minute segment of the game. The last 10 minutes, Seton Hall won 23-13, and that probably doesn't even do a justice of how bad it was in the last 5-6 minutes. Just looking at the probability graph, they're down near... 10%, 12%, and all of a sudden in the last five minutes it skyrockets and they end up winning this game in sort of miraculous fashion.
1: Right, and I look at just the development, too, of players. Like Jared Roden goes out there, he gets 16 points. Bryce Aiken, I, I'm really happy to see Bryce Aiken starting to, to figure things out. Yeah, he he had 13 points off the bench in this one. There's just a couple of guys on this Seton Hall team that that can really cause trouble for opponents. And I mentioned the size. You've got three guys on the team that get significant minutes that are 6'10 or bigger. And I think that could pose some problems in the biggies. Like right now, Ken Palm's got Seton Hall at 35. I don't think they're the 35th best team in the country. I think they're trending more towards like a top 20 team in the country with all the depth that they have.
0: Yeah, and they were left off some top 50, top 40 lists. I think everyone kind of assumed though at the start of the year but they had a pretty high ceiling, and it was just a question mark of, okay, if, if everything comes together, then Seen Hall could be a factor in the Big East this year. But I don't know if they had the highest floor as well, but we're definitely seeing that after a win like this, that's their biggest win in program history. I mean, to beat a top-five team on the road, it sounds like hyperbole. I guess biggest regular season win in program history is what I'd say, because it's the first time they have beaten a top-five team on the road in non-conference play— And they've been around 118 years playing basketball. So that's a statement win. It's really tough to win at Chrysler. And it kind of took me a second to register that the game was road because some of these Gavit games have been at neutral sites like the one you went to. It it was honestly pretty amazing how Seton Hall came back and just took this game away from Michigan down the stretch. And Michigan's a little inexperienced, right? So it's not that shocking. They're not the same team they had last year.
1: Right. I look at Michigan, too. I, I just... I don't think Devontae Jones is Mike Smith. And that, to me, is a, a problem for Michigan and their development. I You don't have a Sean D. Brown out there who can kind of pour it in off the bench. Caleb Houston's great, but he struggled in this game. And you're going to have to rely on him to be one of those guys for this team. Because if they don't get good production out of him, I mean, he played 39 minutes in this game, gave you four points and two rebounds. Like you gotta give me a little bit more than that if you're a five star guy. So Michigan, um, a tough game for them, but again, they'll they'll be fine. They'll figure things out. Hunter Dickinson, I think, will be fine too. Um, where else do you want to go from this? Uh, the the Big Ten. Well, here let's talk about Maryland. This wasn't a, a Gavit game. Yeah. But Maryland played a close game with Vermont, and then they lose to George Mason in a game that really they didn't control by any stretch of the imagination. So they lose to George Mason. And I mean, this is just the, the continuation of the big 10 sort of slipping and slipping here. Now in Ken Palm there, it ranks the big 10 as the top conference, but to you is the big 10, the best conference right now in the country.
0: That's a tough one. I, I don't know. Purdue has still looked really good. So I think that they just haven't really, I mean, we're going to see them against UNC this weekend As I look at Bovado right now, I would say Purdue plus 300 intrigues me in terms of Big 10 conference winners, and I'm assuming this is regular season, which I think it is, so I don't know. They still have four teams that are clearly ranked, but even Ohio State's looked a little shaky, and talking about Maryland, as you brought up, I just, I'm sort of, why do we every year put Maryland up there in the top, it feels like they do this all the time, and it feels like we've been waiting for Mark Turgeon to have that breakout year, and I don't know. Maybe he's just not as good as a lot of people thought as a coach, or maybe Maryland's just never going to be as good as we think. It almost kind of feels like the way that Texas was always put up there, and I guess Texas won the Maui last year, but there's these certain teams like Tennessee has kind of had that a little bit lately, and we'll talk about them because they play Villanova this weekend. They've looked pretty good, so... Maybe not the best example, but there's always these teams in the top 25 every year, and it's like, this is the year for Team X. And I think Maryland is one of those teams, and I don't know why we keep kind of falling into that trap.
1: Looking at Maryland's schedule here, this is a tough road ahead. They've got Hofstra, which they should take care of business. Then you've got Richmond, Virginia Tech, Northwestern, Florida. That right there is four top 70 Ken Palm teams. That's tough and and then well I guess Northwestern is a a conference foe mixed in there it's one of those early Big Ten games but that's a tough little stretch right there that you have leading into the thick of things for for Big Ten play and then you start off Big Ten play with with a tough game like you've got Illinois one of those first couple games on the road you're on the road for Iowa too this is not going to be a a very strong start I think for Maryland and after this game, they might get bumped from the top 25 for good looking at yeah. what they've got on their schedule the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm all in on Michigan. I think I'm I'm definitely selling their stock a little bit. Purdue has looked good, like I said. But to answer your original question, I, I would probably say the Big 12 as it stands right now is a better conference than the Big 10. I don't know about you, but it's very close. I think the Big 10 might be deeper. I mean, it definitely has more teams. We know that. And The bottom half is probably better than the bottom half of the Big 12, but I like Kansas. I like Baylor. Texas, we'll talk about. That was really ugly, but at the same time, they've got probably too much talent to fall too far down the ranking, so it's a toss-up for me, but given what we've seen, the Big Ten has really struggled out of the gates here.
1: All right, let's talk about Texas and and, and Gonzaga here because this is the best win, I think, of the season for a team. The way that gonzaga went out there dominated a top five team in texas this was to me i mean drew i don't think we're going to see a better performance from anybody this season than what drew timmy did 37 points in 38 minutes 15 of 19 from the floor seven rebounds i mean what he did in this game and the way that he kind of disrupted texas now the longhorns don't have a lot of size which certainly played into the the favor of Drew, Timmy, and Gonzaga, because you've got a guy in Chet, Holmgram seven-footer, Drew, Timmy, 6'10". You're going to have those two on the floor for the bulk of the game, and Texas really doesn't have a counter to that. They're also without Dylan Disu right now, right. who was the leading rebounder in the SEC from a season ago. So you've got already a a Texas team that was at a a disadvantage height wise. And, And then you've got drew Timmy who may have wrapped up player of the year with this game alone.
0: Yeah. Drew Timmy was unreal in this game. I I've never really seen anyone just completely take over a game the way that he did. I don't know why Texas didn't change some things up it quicker than they did. I mean, throw a double team on the guy at some point or at least figure out a way to slow it down. But Texas really looked rough in this game. I don't know about you. I think Gonzaga was impressive. We were probably off on them a little bit. I think we had Texas covering in this game, and it was not competitive from the jump, and Gonzaga right. is definitely going to be that team again. They're they're definitely clearly the best team in the country right now if I had to pick a team, but at the same time, Texas, I don't know if they're playing like a top 25 team right now. After what I saw in that game, they looked like they were totally lost. And I guess that makes sense. It's so many new pieces coming together. They do have Courtney, Ramey, Andrew Jones back from last year, but it's tough to kind of build a culture on the fly. They go out to Spokane. It's a tough place to play. I was pretty wowed by the fact that Gonzaga looks like they were just sort of beating up on their little brother, though, because this is a talented team, and Chris Beard usually can figure things out and game plan pretty well. And they just had no answers.
1: I think this next stretch of games is going to be really good for Texas. Just bottom of the barrel teams for your next four opponents, get this team all on the same page, treat it almost like a preseason. And then you've got a road game against Seton Hall and you see what you're made of. Then that to me, this is going to be a very, very important stretch now for Texas to kind of mesh and again game number two losing to Gonzaga I don't think there's any shame in losing to Gonzaga um, and listen Texas did look a lot better in the second half they actually outscored Gonzaga at 47 to 39 but you just dug yourself too big of a hole in that first half to the point where you weren't going to come back at any sort of point but I, I I'm not as concerned like you mentioned a lot of new pieces on this Texas team I think they'll figure it out over these next four games and then by the time you get into Big 12 play, like, there's some good teams in the Big 12, Kansas, Baylor, even teams like Texas Tech, too. But once you get, like, middle of the barrel in the Big 12, I- I'm not as concerned with how Texas is going to fare against the-, the Oklahoma States and the Oklahoma's, West Virginias of the world. Th- those teams don't really scare me.
0: yeah. I was very torn on them in the preseason. We talked about it because I like Chris Beard so much, but I don't like the idea of throwing a lot of new pieces together and trying to create a team sort of on the fly. You could make the argument talent will win out at some point and they do have the coach there for that's, you know, the right guy, but...
1: Right, if there's anyone that can mesh all these guys together, it's Chris Beard.
0: Yeah, you would think, but also he's kind of just maximized not a lot of talent so far. This is almost a different challenge for him. There's a lot of pressure on him there. There's just a lot of pressure that comes with playing for Texas, so the expectations were probably too high. I really thought, well, they did look better in the second half, like you said. It was kind of just Gonzaga almost letting up a little bit, and it was more damning to me that they didn't come out with anything in that first half, but I will say one funny narrative from this first week, and I'm sure you picked up on this, too, is it's I, I get a kick out of this every time. It happens like every year that there are fans in the stadium. So every year, but last year, the oh, well, you know, Texas lost, but props to them for going on the road. More teams should do that at the start <laughs> of the year. You know, that's been such a narrative like coaches like, well, you've we got, got Mark need Fuse this in our calling game. guys out. yeah right. Mark
1: Fuse calling guys out.
0: Yeah, and that was the other thing Mark Few didn't coach in this game. That was something that we brought up previewing it that we thought might play a factor in Texas covering. But it's just so funny to me that every year we do this. I feel like where it's oh, but you know they like UNC almost listed the College of Charleston, but you got to give Hubert Davis and that staff credit going on the road. What a <laughs> you know that's that's gonna build them for the long term. I just think it's a funny narrative. It happens every the best year, part right? two.
1: Yeah, the best part too with, with oh, give Hubert Davis credit—he wasn't even the head coach know, when that game yeah. was scheduled. So that 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 to me is pretty funny. Um, let's get into what probably is the game of the year so far in college basketball. That is UCLA and Villanova. This game yeah. goes to overtime. UCLA pulls it out. It, the the final score does not tell the full story of, of how good of a game this was. Nine-point deficit at the end, but Villanova was in control pretty much until the final ten minutes of this game, and UCLA put together a nice little stretch. I mean, Johnny Juzang struggled, like, struggled, struggled in the beginning, and then he yeah. kind of figured everything out down the stretch, and it felt like we saw tournament Johnny Juzang all over again.
0: Yeah, he was just chucking shots in the first half. It was kind of fun. I mean... He has that in him where it's maybe a little too much of a gunner at times, and it's sort of an interesting contrast in styles between these two teams because UCLA kind of does a lot of iso, I feel like, and then Villanova, as we've come accustomed to, is just a well-oiled machine on offense, quick passing, good ball movement. It's just pretty to watch. So I came away very impressed with Villanova after watching this game.
1: Yeah, both of these teams. I mean, this was was a great game at Pauly. And it looked like Villanova was – there was a stretch there, basically to start the the second half where Villanova could not miss. And yeah. you got impeccable ball movement. Gillespie was making threes. Samuels was making threes. Uh, Justin Moore hit a couple. I mean – and Justin Moore battled foul trouble in this game as well. He ultimately fouls out. But they really moved the ball well against a pretty stout UCLA defense – and even though UCLA got punched in the mouth, you got to credit them that they turned around and Jaquez put together some big buckets down late. He had the the big floater, um, Juzang, Jules Bernard. Everyone sort of stepped up and, and did their role, and that was really cool to see that you got contributions. And, and again, this is a UCLA team that doesn't run very deep, much like Villanova on the other side as well. But Yeah,
0: they only really played six guys, Nova. It's, right. I mean, Archie Diakno, seven minutes. It was pretty thin.
1: Right, so... I I, don't, I came away very impressed by both of these teams. It would not shock me if we see them meet up again at some point.
0: Yeah, Villanova is basically the opposite of Texas right now. They just play so well together. They're so experienced. So many, like, four- year guys. Colin Gillespie, I mean, how long have we been watching him play? Brandon Slater has taken a step up this year. The big question mark for them is rebounding, and it got a little bit exposed in this game. I think final tally here, 46-32. to 32. UCLA out-rebounded Villanova, but despite losing the rebounding battle, they're so crisp on offense, they're so well, sort of like great chemistry, they play so well together that I think they're going to be able to hang in pretty much every game. And I was pretty impressed with their toughness and the way that they won on the road, and they probably should have won that game, honestly. You could say some bad calls down the stretch, but they also just didn't really finish it the way they probably wanted to.
1: Of the power conferences... In college basketball right now, nobody ha- is even odds or better to win their conferences on Bovada than UCLA and Villanova right now. UCLA at even to win the Pac-12, and you got Villanova at minus one thirty-five to win the Big East. Would you say that these are the the two teams across college basketball right now that are head and shoulders better than everyone else in their conference?
0: Well, Oregon didn't do a whole lot to prove they, should, they right. should be getting any of that plus 275. We'll talk about
1: that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh,
0: that was, I don't know what they played on Tuesday night, but that was not basketball against BYU. That was really tough to watch. Uh, you know, I think Arizona's actually looked pretty good so far. They got a good game coming up Friday night against Wichita State out in Las Vegas, so they're kind of stepping up in competition. But I liked what I've seen from Tommy Lloyd's team so far. They play really fast. They get up and down. They have good ball movement, not really a quote-unquote star, but a lot of unselfish guys that play well together. But yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think UCLA, it's pretty good odds there at even. That's about what I would expect them to be to win the Pac-12 this year. And I was maybe a little bit low on them, but it does feel like they kind of have a swagger after the Final Four run last year. I don't think they're one of the tippy-top teams in the country. I still think they're probably in the second tier. But they impressed me, and to beat Villanova like that—that's a good win.
1: The one that I could argue for is Duke.
0: Yeah, because I, that's a good one. Florida
1: State has looked dicey. They they lost to to Florida over the weekend. North Carolina's looked all right. Virginia is awful. Louisville hasn't played the most inspired basketball. Virginia lost, Tech too. looks pretty good. Notre Dame is solid. Syracuse looks solid, but. If your competition to to win the conference is Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Florida State, Carolina, like with the way that those teams have looked so far, Duke to me looks head and shoulders above everyone in what looks to be another down ACC.
0: Yeah, actually, I forgot about that. I would say Duke is the best odds right now for if you're trying to identify. All right, I want to pick like someone to win the conference, and they are probably the favorite to win their conference. Duke, plus 180 on Bovada right now to win the ACC. I'm I'm all for that. I don't... I mean, they haven't won the regular season since 2010, so you got to mention that. And they're still young. They're probably going to get tripped up a couple times. But the ACC has looked pretty bleak so far. And I know this is that part of the year where everyone overreacts to the conferences. We're all claiming the Big East is back or the Big Ten's terrible or the ACC's really bad. And it's super early... But I didn't really like the ACC going into this year, and they have done nothing to prove that they weren't being a top three or four conference in college basketball. All
1: right, let's get to some one and duns here. One-and-done. Oh my guys.
0: Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in and one-and-dones,
1: right? <laughs> so I'll start things off here. And this is one of the really interesting things that I saw from over this past week. Loyola is leaving the Missouri Valley and is heading to the Atlantic 10. Kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense for everyone involved here. But Loyola going to the A-10. Do you like the move? Did Were you caught off guard by it? What did you think of Loyola making the move?
0: Definitely caught off guard from a standpoint of I didn't wake up that morning and think that was going to be something that I was thinking about. But I do think the Atlantic 10... This is a great move by them. Loyal is a great program. They've got a great fan base. They're in Chicago. That's a big deal. I think it's really smart for the Atlantic 10 to add them for sure.
1: I like the move from a lot of standpoints. Now, one thing that maybe struck me as odd, and maybe this has been in the works for a long time, but I would have liked to maybe see Porter be the, the guy in charge when the move was made. And maybe that's how they thought this was all going to go down, and this was just when everything was signed, sealed, and delivered. But going through a coaching change and making the move was interesting to me. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be a bad thing, because I think Drew Valentine is, especially because there's continuity there. Drew Valentine was on the staff before, and he's now the head coach at Loyola. But I just that to me was a, a bit odd, because, again, this is a basketball move. Whenever you see conference realignment, it is either a basketball or a football move and Loyola doesn't have football. So, yeah. a lot of the A10 um either has FCS but not a lot of power football in in the A10. Um here's something to me that that I'm I'm curious about. Will the Valley let Loyola play in the the Missouri Valley tournament? Because we we've seen the threats made towards James Madison in the CAA about how since they are making or looking to make a move to what, is it the SoCon I think it is, yeah
0: I think if they right.
1: and, and they're potentially going to be left out of the the CAA tournament they're going to be banned by the conference because they're making the move. Will the Valley do the same to Loyola? And initially, I thought no, like this seems like an amicable part. But from the Valley standpoint, it might make sense. To do this, because Loyola could get a bid regardless, right? They could get in at large. Now you're opening up the door for a second team to get in, maybe even a third team if someone really stands out ahead of the pack. So could we see the Valley lay down the law and say, you know what, Loyola, you're not playing in the Valley tournament?
0: Maybe. I guess you're right. There's an angle there that they could get, quote-unquote, two teams then. But it feels kind of silly, right? It just feels, why would you do it? They're still a part of the conference this year. They've been a loyal member for you. They've, if anything, elevated your conference, especially with that Final Four run. So I don't see why you would make their lives harder. I guess because they were not loyal to you. But this, to me, was like a minor league franchise getting promoted or something like it just makes sense like relegation the, yeah yeah if like, you're the Missouri not getting Valley, relegated
1: but making the leap yeah
0: right it's like if a employee went to the you know I live in Winston Salem we'll use that for example like they work for the office in Winston Salem and then the LA office for that company comes calling if you're a Winston Salem boss when you're sitting down and having that conversation with the Winston Salem employee I don't think you're like how could you be doing this? Like, why are you leaving us? You know, I I just think it's, it's a no brainer for Loyola. So you can't be too mad at them.
1: Yeah. I don't think the Valley would be as petty as the CAA. Uh, I'm with you. I I think that ultimately you'll see Loyola in in the, but this is going to be a really good move for them. They'll get to play teams like St. Bonaventure, Davidson, Richmond. Like this is a good move for Loyola. It's going to, and right now, if they were placed in the A-10, they'd be the highest rated team in Ken Palm right now too. So I really like this move. I think it's going to be a good one for uh, Loyola and the A-10 in general. All right, what do you have?
0: So I know we started talking about this, but I want to talk about the ACC some more because this is close to my neck of the woods proximity-wise. And for a while, the ACC has been this power conference. I just feel like this has been a trend now for a couple years where The top dogs are sort of slipping, the UNC, the Duke. Now, we talked about how Duke I do think is legit good this year, but these middle teams in the ACC haven't been good for a while. The bottom half is not good, which I guess is a byproduct of when you have 15 teams, they can't all be good. I get all that, but while it is that conference overreaction season like I talked about earlier, again, I think the ACC, when I look at them right now, like how many tournament teams are we for sure picking out of the ACC right now, because I don't know if they get to six tournament teams this year when I think about it.
1: Right now, I couldn't tell you the names of the teams, but I think you're getting four at least. I just yeah, don't you know who four. the four are aside from Duke, and then maybe – th- I mean, but Florida State hasn't even looked that good.
0: No, they, the they, almost they played lost close to Tulane. with Tulane, yeah. and
1: then you lost to you lost in convincing fashion to, to Florida over the weekend. So, yeah, it's like Duke and then who else is going to claim the other spots? And and to the whole argument of, oh, like not all 15 teams can be good. Yeah, that's true. But we've seen a conference where where there's 9 or 10 teams that are legit good, right? Where, listen, if if your 10th best team in the conference is getting a 10 or an 11 seed, like that's probably a much better 10 or 11 seed than the other 10 and 11 seeds because of the competition that they've went up against the entire season.
0: Yeah, I just feel like early on, and if you're listening to this podcast because you like betting, maybe, it's a good angle, in my opinion, to consider the ACC is overrated right now. Because I was even thinking last night, I I put a little on Oklahoma State to beat NC State. Now, that game did get sort of close at the end, and Oklahoma State only covered by a little, but I think the line I saw was like three and a half on Bovada when I placed it, and... I don't know. I just didn't really get, like, NC State has lost Manny Bates. They almost, they were down at the half to a team that was basically the worst team in college basketball. When you look at Kempa in Central Connecticut the night before, I get it. Oklahoma State is not exactly playing for a lot because of their, their tournament situation there in the band, right. but...
1: Yeah, that that to me is one of the, the intriguing storylines this year, and we thought it was going to be last year, how this would yeah, play out with right. Oklahoma State, but what's the motivation level? especially now that it is kind of set in stone that, all right, you're not playing. I saw that line, too, and thought, you know what? I kind of like Oklahoma State in this spot, but I'm always a little timid to play Oklahoma State because where's the motivation factor going to be game to game?
0: Right. I would just put it this way. Every night that I have gone to the ACC scoreboard and looked at the scores— Pretty much all of them are like not as good as... I wonder what they are against the spread, I guess, because it just feels like most of the teams are underwhelming at this stage with the exception of Duke, and Duke does look good.
1: Right. My next one, we'll get to something that we kind of teased a little bit earlier, but BYU in the PK-80 Invitational just absolutely giving it to Oregon. I mean, Phil Knight, the the, the entire challenge is named after him, and he has to go see Oregon Put forth that performance. I mean, did, does Phil Knight just cut the Nike contract right there and like say, "Listen, Dana, <laughs> like no. get on the phone. You want to be Russell Athletic? You want to be like the old Georgetown teams? You want to be the New Balance like, uh, like Boston College, like, like? I'm sorry, the check needs to be earned, and for Oregon to put out that flat of an effort, I get BYU's good, but to look that bad in an event that is named after an alum and one of the most powerful people in the entire sports industry that was
0: embarrassing. Yeah, that was really shocking to me. And looking at it, they dropped 21 spots on Ken Palm for this loss, which we've talked about this before, but I think Ken Palm is a little too harsh sometimes on blowouts one way or the other, but they go from 22 to 41 on Ken Palm. That was uncharacteristic for a Dana Altman team to put it point blank. And The talk around Oregon was they've got shooters. So even if one or two guys have an off night, don't worry, they're deep, they're talented. They will be able to score no matter what because they have so many guys that can shoot the three. Well, they shot three for 14 in this game. They had one assist at the half. They were shooting at 19% at the half. I didn't even watch the second half because at that point we knew what was happening. It just didn't feel like it was even worth watching. And I'll give credit to BYU. They came out. Barcelo is really good. He's probably one of the more underrated players in the country at 25 points. Mm -hmm. He did not miss a shot in this game, but I don't know what to make of that game because Oregon kind of gave it to SMU a couple nights earlier, and then they just looked really flat in a big game. And
1: Listen, I like Will Richardson. I think there's some good pieces on this team. Jacob Young got hobbled in this game, but it didn't determine the outcome by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but th- this was embarrassing and-, and to go out, play that flats. I, I was just appalled. I-, I really, I really was. And listen, they'll kind of get to ease their way back in a little bit. The, the, the old Chaminade game. And then, um, y- you've got a couple other gimmies down the road, but you got to figure this out before, before PAC 12 play really kicks into gear, because I mean, that, that was bad. That was, I know you brought up how Ken Palm can be overreactionary at times, and I totally agree it is, but I had no
0: problem with them being bumped no, in yeah, spots on Ken Palm. Like, I agree. That
1: was an absolute abomination of a game.
0: Yeah. Another one for me, one and done, and this is kind of my last one. We touched on a lot of uh, ones I had jotted down already so far, but I do want to shout out this Houston-Virginia game because... Kind of goes under the radar because it wasn't much of a game. And Virginia, again, another ACC team that's sort of struggling right now. But Houston totally dominated that game from start to finish. And Houston's eight in Ken Palm right now, it's getting real. Like, Houston is going to be a power in college basketball. I think this is just what we have to expect from them. I'm not saying that they are as good as maybe that eight ranking or something, but they're going to be around. They're going to be in top 25 polls. And they put together a team with some new pieces here that they struggled in the first game against Hofstra, but hearing some of Kelvin Sampson's quotes after that game, he basically was like, look, we played Hofstra. So Hofstra was 153 in Kenpom. That was their first game. They won in OT. Then they played Rice, 138 in Ken Kenpom. You think that would be a tougher team. They won that game by almost, or by 33 points. So they dominated. And Kelvin Sampson was like, it doesn't matter who he would have played. We would just really would have been bad in that first game against anyone. And it probably would have gone to OT against anyone. Now they're starting to find their footing and they've got some intriguing games. Monday night against Butler. I just I'm always interested to see how they fare against some teams that are out of conference because of what we saw last year. Some people still consider that run a fluke and they definitely got a very very easy path to get there, but they're a fun team to watch and I always like watching them. Like they got Alabama coming up on December 11th. That's going to be an intriguing game.
1: My one hesitation with Houston you kind of talked about how it was some of these other teams that we've discussed, if you if one guy's having an off night, two guys are having an off night, you can manage because there's so many other guys that can that can kind of take care of business. But I look at this team from from Houston, and if Marcus Sasser isn't hitting threes or Kyler Edwards isn't hitting threes, then them as a whole are not going to be a very good three point shooting team.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, look, Virginia isn't good, so I don't know how much you can take. At least Virginia isn't good right now. They'll probably get it together because I believe in Tony Bennett, but we've talked about Virginia on some of the recent pods, too. Their roster is just not that talented. So I fully expected Houston to win, but I think it was impressive the way that they just totally dominated.
1: Yeah. All right, let's take a look at some of the games for the weekend that we're picking. We'll go with some of the ranked matchups here to start. And we begin with a little Big Ten ACC clash ahead of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. It is Purdue and it is North Carolina. Who do you like in this one between these these two? I mean, Purdue looks like a, a team that's really surging and, and near the top of the, the Big Ten, while UNC, they haven't really tripped up, but nothing overly impressive so far.
0: Right. So, again, Tar Heel Tim here, totally biased, we <laughs> joke about this, but I do think while UNC has not really put together these convincing wins against weaker competition, that's just kind of what UNC does, like, I don't know, they just don't really take care of business the way they should against some of these teams, typically. I think they've looked good overall. I'm, I mean, more encouraged after watching UNC in these first three games. You've seen
1: development with certain players, and I think that's notably Caleb Love.
0: Right. We got to talk about that because, I mean, I was hard on him last year. A lot of the country was hard on him. He put up a historically bad year from an efficiency standpoint, and the amount of shots that he was taking, and the amount of turnovers, and all that. He looked like a completely different player in terms of his patience, his poise in the second half. He won Carolina that game against College of Charleston. Now, you could say it's a little tough that they had to rally in the second half. I I don't think they're going to beat Purdue. That's my short answer. I think Purdue is better right now than UNC. But I do think UNC is in a spot to sort of be considered as a flyer down the road in terms of Final Four odds on Bovada, that type of stuff.
1: So... I'm looking right now. Purdue has the number two offense in Ken Palm. And if it weren't for Gonzaga being the team that they are, they would probably be number one. I believe Gonzaga's got the number one offense right now. Um, but they've put up 92 points in every single game. And you can say, oh, yeah, they've had some some cupcakes out of the gate, but they're not playing like the the 300th ranked team in Ken Palm. They're no. playing Bellarmine, then Indiana State. Wright State, who's perennially a very good team out of the Horizon League, I've been very impressed with what Purdue's done because they're going out and winning games by 30, 40 points against some solid competition here in the early going. So right now, Bovada has Purdue at plus 450 to make the final four. I'm going to spit off some teams and you tell me whether or not they should have better odds than Purdue to make the the final four here. All right, you ready?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Villanova. Yeah, I would say they should. Just because of Jay Wright. You think you, yeah, so you Benarage, think Villanova, yep.
1: okay. Yeah, okay. So you're correct there. Villanova is plus 375. Memphis.
0: No. I mean Memphis has talent, but I'd rather produce just more of a team right now. Produce more proven. I know they haven't necessarily gotten to a final four recently, but what has Memphis done under Penny Hardaway right. in terms of winning? Exactly. Games? They haven't even made the tournament. And, and yeah. yet
1: here we sit at Memphis at 4 to 1. To make the final four. So I don't get that. I, that's a little yeah. fishy to me. Texas.
0: That's tough. I would say Purdue should have better odds. I don't know what. I mean, they're probably pretty similar odds if I were to guess. Yeah. but...
1: So Texas also at four to one here. Yeah. The same I, odds I as Memphis. I would say
0: Texas is too high there and Purdue is right about where they should be at four to one.
1: Here's an interesting one Kansas.
0: I would give the edge to Kansas still there because. Ke- Bill self and it goes back to coaching and culture and having been there before. I do think Purdue has been, if anything better than, or they're not getting talked about enough, right? Like when you hear conversations, who could make the final four, who could win it all this year. Purdue's not at the tip of your tongue. And maybe they should be because the rest of the big yeah, team, 10 I really teams do don't think- look great. And you said at Wright state, that score was shocking. They were up like it 40, 40. At the half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, last one here, Michigan. Uh, give me Purdue over them right now. I think yeah. Purdue to win the Big Ten is a better bet than Michigan for sure.
1: So Michigan is plus 350 to go to the Final Four. Purdue is plus 450. Uh, right now, I, I don't necessarily get it. Purdue has been one of the most impressive teams in the country right out of the gate. So, All right, uh, the other games I want to hit on here – Tennessee and Nova. I'm I'm with you. I think Purdue wins that game over North Carolina. Tennessee and Villanova. Who do you like here?
0: Really intriguing game. I'm gonna say Nova because they've already played in some of these big games before. Tennessee, I've liked what I've seen though too. Kennedy Chandler has been
1: He's a good. another
0: yeah, underrated storyline from this first couple weeks. Everyone's talking about Chet Holmgrim, although he didn't do a whole lot in that Texas game in terms of shooting or scoring, but he's not a freshman that is getting a tons of headlines or anything like that. But Kenny Chandler is a name that you should try to seek out and watch play because his question mark coming in was how well can he shoot the three? And I think he made like six of his first seven threes. And I don't know if he's kept it up, but he is it's against weak competition, but he's a guy that I'm very excited to watch play against Villanova. I think that's going to be a really fun game to watch high scoring two good, talented teams that like to get out and score and pass and, do the right things offensively, but I would lean Villanova probably.
1: All right, you have an upset that you like this weekend. I'm I'm just looking through the slate. It, it's kind of tough right now. I mm-hmm. would say the one that I'm kind of eyeing right now, South Florida taking on number 21 Auburn. I think that Ooh. could be a game that could trip up the Tigers a little bit.
0: Yeah, so Western Kentucky, Memphis. I, I eyed that one too. <laughs> Memphis would probably win that. Michigan, UNLV out in Las Vegas. I mean, will Michigan lose again? I, probably not. Let me go to Saturday here. I, I haven't looked at this too closely. Stanford, I haven't liked what I've seen from them to take them over Baylor, but that's kind of an intriguing game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm probably with you. Probably that Auburn one is the best one to to pick right and now. And it's not
1: necessarily a, an endorsement of, of South Florida because uh, South Florida isn't anything special right now. I'm just I'm not totally sold on, on on Auburn and what they are because they they've come out of the gate, and, and listen, they've got impressive wins too. But this could be a look ahead sort of deal, too, with UConn looming on the horizon. Because that, that's yeah. the game that they'll be getting up for starting off Atlantis. They know they need to have a, a good showing in Atlantis out of the gate.
0: Right. I bet Kentucky beats Ohio. That's in rep on Friday night. But I bet that game is a lot closer than people will anticipate. And then Kentucky will win with some like late shot or something like that. That would be my prediction. Yeah. I don't think they're going to lose. Or like a
1: little five zero run down the stretch that, yeah. that finishes and, it off.
0: And UNLV could beat Michigan. That's a 12.30 uh, tip, by the way, East Coast time on our time zone. So I don't know <laughs> what if we'll be watching these, that
1: one. What is it with these tip times these yeah. days? I mean, like seriously, the the Villanova and UCLA game started at 11.30 for, for Nova fans. The Gonzaga and uh, and Texas game was, what, 10.30? Yeah. And, and that 12.30? Like that doesn't even make sense local time.
0: Yeah, it's out in Las Vegas. I don't get it. I really don't. And I know the West Coast listeners, if you're listening right now, you're like, come on, we finally get some in our primetime slot. And the argument is, well, Poly Pavilion, if you're going to have a big game there, why put it at 630 local time when fans can't even get out there in time? But can we, you know, find a middle ground here and put it at 730 local time so that I can at least stay up and not be yawning as I'm watching the overtime right. that type of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I it took every last dose of energy for me to power through that game like it, yeah thank God and it was, it was a, a great game. game yeah yeah right otherwise yeah I I, I almost didn't make it which uh, I'm glad I did because it was a fantastic finish all right that is gonna do it for us here on today's made for March we will be back with you guys next week giving you a The lay of the land after another what should be a very good weekend and leading you into Feast Week because, believe it or not, I can't believe it, Thanksgiving's next week, and what that means doesn't necessarily mean Thanksgiving football. It means that Feast Week is upon us. Maui, Atlantis, all that fun stuff. So we will recap everything and, and get you set for Feast Week as well coming up next week. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys later on.
0: The game was over.